listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the Maple Leaf Hot Stove Podcast. My name is Ian Tullock. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. How you doing, Anthony? First place, and I'm feeling fine. The Leafs are in first place. They are in first place by a considerable margin at this point. I was just looking at uh, Dom Lucchesian's numbers at The Athletic. He does a really good job of uh, looking at projections and what are the probabilities of the Leafs finishing first in the Canadian division. 89% as of today, as of the time we're recording this. That lines up with what a lot of us are seeing. It's very likely that this Toronto team, based on their record right now, finishes the season in first in their division. I know you wanted to talk about how that's going to result in the coaching maybe being a bit more open to different line combinations, maybe testing a few different things out. We're going to dive into some of the deeper numbers behind why their record right now might not be truly reflective of their actual ability as of uh, right now. But when it comes to some of the coaching decisions that I know you want to see in the future because of this, uh, the, 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 I don't know the right way to describe it is, but the the barrier that they've built themselves in the standings right now. What are you looking for from Sheldon Keith? Because I know this is something you really wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think, and and this goes back to, I guess, the, the Babcock era. The the thing that drove myself and, and a lot of people crazy is just like a complete lack of experimentation or flexibility, right? And I'm not saying Keith does that, but we know Babcock over the years was just like, these are the lines. And that was it. Right, like they had that one season. Like I, I don't think they changed lines at all. The entire year, it was it was like actually kind of mind blowing to see when they were locked think... into third place behind Boston and Tampa Bay. You knew there was no way they were moving up or down the standings. And that happened a few times, right? Where it was just like, like you guys are in third with like 15, 20 games left. Like we knew, or like these guys are finishing third. There's nowhere to go. Like they're Dom's like, probabilities on the athletic probably said about the same thing. Ninety percent chance you finish in that spot. Yeah. And, like, you'd look at Boston and Tampa, and, and they were just, like, at, like, the... I mean, they still arguably are, but they were, like, peak, peak height of their powers. And the, as good as the Leafs were, it'd be, like, 15-point gap. You're not catching them. And then the, they would just do nothing. They wouldn't sit anybody. They wouldn't try different line combinations out. And I think... I, I sneakily think that Keefe is kind of... He's trying things out a little bit more subtly than than maybe is being recognized right now and he's just banking things in his back pocket he's like it's like we haven't seen him turn too too much to hyman matthews marner other than in like really really high leverage situations or like ends of games because i think he's sitting there he's like i know these guys are good like i don't i don't need to try this any further i, I know i can go back to them this is like these three are like riding a bike together it's just i will pair them together when i need to and they will be good but he's like Let's try, you know, Joe Thornton up here for an extended run. Let's move Baraban off here in the top six and see how he does. Let's give Zach Hyman his own line and see if he can carry it, which he is so far. All right, can we talk a bit more about that? Because that was something that I know we wanted to discuss this week. Zach Hyman being the offensive driver of his own line. Never something I thought I would really say. He always seems like that complimentary player who is just going to dive into the corner, win a puck battle, and then let one of his skill guys come in and get it. Lately, he's been playing on that third line with Mikheyev and Engvall. To start the season, it was basically the same thing. It was Mikheyev and Kerfoot, and the idea was that you split up your talent, you have Hyman on that third line. They've been doing it a lot on the road this year, where at home they'll have Hyman in the top six, but on the road they'll have Hyman on that third line. The idea, in my mind, would be to 
spread the talent throughout your lineup so that you don't get caught with your third line without Zach Hyman out against the other team's top lines. I know we saw Connor McDavid absolutely burn Jason Spezza the other night in the one shift that he got out against him. So you want to give yourself a few lines that give yourself a chance against any of the best teams in the league. Zach Hyman's always been that complimentary, sorry, complimentary presence. But now that we're seeing him in more of an offensive role where he has to be the one where he crosses the blue line and you're thinking, okay, make a play, Zach Hyman. You're not just going to barrel yourself to the net. You have to deke out a guy and make a pass. That's not something we're used to him doing, but he's actually a lot better in that regard than I would have expected. Yeah, and I kind of want to take a little bit of time here to gush about just how good he's become. Like, it's wild. When he first entered the league, uh, one thing I pointed out, right, right away is this guy should probably play on his strong side and that's where he is right now and that's where he's always kind of looked his best especially making plays off the rush right I mean there there was a point there where he was playing with Matthews and Nylander early on in his career and couldn't really handle a pass on the backhand as you know Matthews and Nylander are zipping it uh, all over the ice and Andrew Berkshire had a number on him I want to say that he finished on two percent of passes to the slot which are, by the numbers are 25 or 30 percent chances that should be going in and he converted on them two percent of the time he just wasn't scoring yeah and his job was, he knew his job give give him credit he was just he sit he sat there and went I'm gonna forecheck and I'm gonna go to the net and that's it and Matthews and Nylander they kind of ignored him to some degree there they just went okay. We're gonna we're gonna play pitch and catch amongst ourselves, and whatever happens with with Hyman is whatever happens. Puck, puck goes in off his shin pad. Puck goes in off his ankle. Whatever the case is. But now we're seeing him. He's making plays. He's going backhand. If he has a chance to, instead of just jamming it into the goalie's pad three times in a row, it looks like he's actually trying to make a play skill wise, which is something that. You got to think they've been working on with him over the last couple of years because you know what he's good at. He's going to barrel himself into the corner and try to win every single puck battle out there. But when you get him in open space, what can he do with the puck? That's always been a concern with me is, okay, you're off the rush. You have some of your best talent, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, and now you have Zach Hyman in a great shooting position. Is that exactly what you want? Still don't think he has the greatest shot, but what I've – really been impressed with him lately is his stick handling ability to get himself into better positions to make a play and that's something where in the last couple of years I don't remember myself marveling at Zach Hyman's puck skills I don't marvel at his ability to deke out NHL defenders but now you're seeing him go to his backhand a bit more often I think he's having success offensively because of that confidence in his puck handling ability there's there's also some of it I think is a little bit circumstantial in terms of He's getting more opportunities now to kind of do his own thing. You may remember this once I bring it up. Of two years ago in the playoffs against Boston, he had a goal where he went down his strong side and he drove the net and he pulled it backhand. And it was a gorgeous goal. We'll have to pull up a video uh, and share it as part of uh, the article on this. Unbelievable goal. And everyone's like, where did that come from? First off, Zach Hyman on his strong side. But now he's getting a little bit more opportunity where he can be the primary puck handler, right? Under no circumstance should Hyman be carrying the, the mail in terms of puck possession and making plays with the puck. Get him back, guys. Like, I got this in transition, you know? Yeah, it's right? Like William Nylander just swooping down below the goal. Like, I got this. Put it on yeah. my stick, baby. <laughs> yeah, he knows, right? Matthews, Nylander, Marner, that's your puck. I'll do what I, I need to do. But with Ilya Mikheyev and Pierre Engvall... Hyman can look at those guys and say, all right, like, I'm going to make plays with the puck. You guys go to the net. You guys forecheck. You guys make those kinds of plays happen. 
I'm going to be a little bit more of, you know, I don't want to say selfish, but a little bit more of the guy who's, who's leading the charge in terms of what they're kind of doing offensively. So give him credit. I didn't think if you went in going into the season and said, can you give this guy his own line to carry out of eh, he's probably a bit more of a complimentary guy, but he looks right now at, like a player that can carry a line. So he has 13 points in 21 games. Last year, he was on pace over the course of an 82-game season to pass the 30-goal barrier. He it was riding a high shooting percentage. That wasn't realistically who he was. But he has a couple 20-goal seasons under his belt, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. This is a player where I ask myself, man, is this the guy who the fan base falls in love with, the organization falls in love with, they sign him to a big extension because he's that hard-nosed, lunch-pail type of player, and in a couple of years, you are really regretting that contract. It reminds me a little bit of Josh Anderson, where he's everything you want in a player. In a playoff series, you're going to think, man, we just wish we had more of that, that defensive presence, that guy who can win a battle, that guy who seems to make everyone play better because of the raw energy he brings on every shift. Those are obviously attributes that you're looking for in a professional hockey player, but when he's in his 30s and he has a couple injuries, all of a sudden, that's a deteriorating asset. If he if the Leafs offered him the Josh Anderson contract tomorrow, is that something you're comfortable with? I I would have hesitations on it to be honest. Uh, one, you, you've noted the age; he's turning 29 this year. You know he he played 51 games last season. He he didn't play the full season. And his they, play style is one that you think would lead to injuries in the future. And and his first two his first like two full seasons he did play eighty two games back to back and then after that he went down to seventy one and then last year he went down to fifty one. He seems kind of like I'm a little bit worried about how that's going to play out. I also just as a quick aside, it sucks that we have to talk about contracts all the time. Like it's like you can never have truly nice things in a in a in a cap world, right? It's always going to be like who's coming up next? Who can they probably not afford coming up next? just part of the package, I guess, of, of signing all your star players, which they had to do. I mean, even right? in the MLB, for what it's worth, where there's not a cap, you still want to be spending your money efficiently, right? There's still something to be said for making sure that the guys under contract are going to be outperforming those contracts. And that's a concern with me long-term for Hyman. You think in year one, year two of the contract that he signs next, he's probably going to be good. And that's the lease window right now. Kind of the idea with the Muzzin contract, the Brody contract. We don't love year three or year four of this, but it gives us a chance to win right now in our window. Is Zach Hyman the type of player that you re-sign because you're in your window right now? Or are you concerned because of the long-term ramifications? Maybe it's a JVR or Bozak situation where you go, you know what, this just doesn't make sense for us. He'll be our own rental, and then afterwards we might have to let him walk. So if we go if we go the, ja- the Josh Anderson contract... That's right? seven He's, years, five and a half million. So the the seven years would be problematic. But if we stick with the five and a half mil for a sec, I mean, he's worth more than that right now. Like today, he is worth more than five and a half million, I would say. Is he? Everything he brings. I would say so. It's like he's a high-end penalty killer. He can play up and down your lineup. He can play left wing, right wing. And he fits with anybody. Like he could carry his own line. He could be complimentary to your star players. His production is good. If you look at which Leafs players are trusted against top competition, he's always among the leaders there. Yeah, he'll take draws on the penalty kill. He does. I don't know how valuable that is when he loses most of them. (laughs) 
What's he at this year, actually? Like, he's he's That's been good at look times. Because I know Kerfoot's been terrible on draws. That's something I've been paying a little bit of attention to. Remember when he was playing on a torn ACL in the playoffs and Babs was like, go take faceoffs on the PK against Patrice Bergeron? Just, oh. just wild. Like, I still can't believe he played with that injury. I don't know how he – and he actually looked he, pretty decent, which is insane, but th- – this also sounds this also sounds weird to say. Like some people are gonna hear this and be like, "This probably makes no sense." I would almost, I would almost be more willing to let him walk if they like in a wild world. Let's just because I have to preface it with that. Anytime I even think about this, like Leafs won the cup, I would actually be more likely to let him walk. Like at that time, <laughs> at that like point, like his, Leonard, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm you, happy. Yeah, like the price, but the price tag would probably be insane. Be like, you know what? Like they got one. Let's see if we can, like, if, you know, go from there and figure it out with whatever cap space we have, but let's not, like, like go absolutely wild. And I do, I do hate, like, I know we mentioned about the cap, like, this is one thing I, I just don't like about the league as, as a whole. It, like, we saw Chicago, Chicago had a dynasty going, right? And they just, they're like, picked apart like a carcass, right? And we've seen a few of these teams where they've just kind of been picked apart and squeezed out by the cap. I like, having elite elite teams i think it's good for the league i think it's good measuring sticks for other teams i think it's good to have and i know people will be like well the same team winning year after year is that really good yeah then because it becomes people, the nba of golden state versus cleveland but, in the finals five years in a row but people hate their guts and i think people feeling something for a team whether it's hate or whether it's love is ultimately good i think when it's just bland and you're like whatever like this year it's dallas last year it's whoever and it's a bland feeling but when it's the same team over and over again and you either really like them or you really hate them that's that's what really draws people in and get them invested if you talk about the nba i'll tell you right now i do not want the brooklyn nets to win but i want to watch them when all three stars are playing they're 100 percent i want to watch them but i want them to lose and like i'm invested in them losing and if they lose it's going to make me happy like, I do not want to see those guys win. And you know what? You're not going to hear any disagreements from me here, but who you would hear it from is Gary Bettman and all the owners of the small market teams who want parity and the loser point. The NHL prides itself on parity's trash. <sighs> it, you're, it's you're, not good again, for the product. Get rid of get rid of loser points. Make three point, you know, wins and regulation. We could go on a whole thing about the league itself. But like, uh, it's ridiculous. Like, we're just... You know, and then teams like fool themselves. It also makes trade deadlines crappier because teams are like, actually, I think we're okay. And I'm looking at them like, we're only seven points out. And I'm thinking, but yeah, everyone picks up a point in this NHL. That's how it works. I'm like, this team is terrible. They should be sitting there being like, we're going to sell like crazy. And that makes a good trade deadline. Not these like crappy ones where we're watching like fourth round picks fly around for like random depth guys. Like I want teams sitting there being like, we're really bad. And we need say, to don't stop. talk about the Ottawa Senators that way. That's rude. <laughs> yeah. But before we move out of this conversation with Zach Hyman and move on to the team wingspan argument that I really want to talk about, uh, the Mikheyev Engvall line that's just fascinated me so much. We're going to get into that. But I have one more question for you about Zach Hyman. You get to choose one player to keep moving forward, Morgan Riley or Zach Hyman. Who are you choosing? Because uh, uh. it might come down to that realistically if so my my initial reaction is i'm like my heart says this is 
Zach Hyman because the Leafs have a number of good young defensemen that I like. like I really like Rasmus Sandin. I, th- I think he's a player. I think he's going to be a player. I've I've liked Travis Sturman. I've said this for a year and a half now. When they move I've him up into the top four, four, or four or five years, man. <laughs> like like I've generally liked him, but like my point was more so like when they when they move him up into the top four, like I think he's generally held out well. Like he looks like like he like I think he'd be a good player challenged with more responsibility and opportunity. Especially him but, and Justin Hall in a second role, uh, second pairing role. That seems like something they could handle. They would miss Riley on the power play though. Like that would be legit. Like the Leafs have a really good power play and is really important to their success. Like it, it, it has been, especially this season. So I, I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to sit there and be like, yeah, like I could just schlep Riley off. Like he plays a ton. He's really productive. He's good on the power play. I would be concerned. But if I look at Zach Hyman, I'm like, who can do what he does? Yeah, and you know what? Looking at it right now, Hyman's up at the end of this year. Riley has this season and then one more at $5 million. Realistically, maybe Riley plays that contract out, and Hyman is up before that, so maybe you have to let him walk. Looking at the Seattle expansion draft, I think what you would do is you would leave Zach Hyman unsigned and then have a, a contract extension basically agreed upon in principle, and then he'd sign it right after the expansion draft if you planned on keeping him. Yeah, That's and, something. And if- if Riley's ripping also like 70-point seasons, which is totally on the table right now. It happened once it, when he tripled it, his career shooting percentage. I don't see it happening again. He's super productive this year. I mean, he's having – offensively, he's having a – like he's 18 points in 23 games. That right? first like, period he had against the Edmonton Oilers was basically everything I love about Riley offensively when he's activating into the play, when he's skating down that left wall in the offensive zone, and he makes the pass across. More, the Morgan Riley who drives me insane – is the Morgan Riley who thinks he's still in junior and launches shots from 40, 50 feet away thinking he's going to score. So but he scored favorite... last night, right? And it was like off Darnell Nurse and in. So it was like, okay, like relax a little bit here. You didn't like beat the goalie clean from the blue line. And I don't know if you, if you remember this, but they had a power play after again. And Nylander was sitting there just waiting on the one-timer. And Riley was like, I'm taking a wrist shot from the blue line, no screen instead. And Nylander just looked at him after like, are you is serious? Is that a good shot in your books? Is, there, yeah. is that oh. the kind of shots that we're working for? It's like in the NBA when a guy just pulls up from deep two early in the shot clock and all his teammates are going, what the hell are you thinking with that shot? Yeah, like unless you're Steph Curry, like you you, you don't have that in your bag. Like you, you can't do it, especially no screen. So all I was saying to that point is like, is Riley going to sit there and, and like is someone going to give him like eight, nine million dollars? Like is this the Eric Carlson contract in a few years? And that's what I'm worried about with Riley. We've, I've talked about my, my Riley concerns, and I'm sure they're going to come up later when we discuss his partner, TJ Brody. But it's more the 5-on-5 five five impact that concerns me with Riley. I love his offense. I love him on the power play. I'm just concerned that you give most of it back defensively, and we tend not to talk about that. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. So you want to get into Mikheyev and Engvall. Yeah, I want to talk about limbs. I want to talk about wingspan. I want to Next. talk about how annoying these guys are to play against. In basketball, it's something we talk about all the time. No one cares about your height anymore. Everyone cares about your wingspan because your arms are what you use to defend, to get in passing lanes, to disrupt the opposition. If you watch the Toronto Raptors at all, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Chris Boucher, these guys come flying at you full speed with their long arms. And it's really disruptive. It's part of what makes them so good at defending the perimeter uh, on defense because their athleticism and their length is just... Those are attributes you're looking for right now in the NBA to defend. In the NHL, we tend not to talk about it, 
But Pierre Engvall is six foot five, and his wingspan, I wouldn't be surprised if it was longer. Ilya Mikheyev, is he listed at what, 6'2"? I'm not quite sure what his height is. Yeah, I think he he's plays listed longer. at 6'2". He plays longer. He has a longer stick. He has a longer reach. It's and weird because he looks players... big, right? Like, I know yeah, he's he not listed big. at 6'5", but he looks, like, bigger than pretty much everybody else out there. It's wild. And I, I just think of, like, his, his wings. How far can he reach out and actually hit a puck? I know in football <laughs> sometimes we talk about catching radius. And a guy's standing still, but how far can he actually jump to his left, to his right, forward, backwards? Like, what's the radius of where he can catch the ball? What's the radius of where Ilya Mikheyev can get his stick on a puck on the fork check? He covers a lot of ground. And what I love about these two players is that on the forecheck, they're disruptive. In the neutral zone, they're disruptive. In the defensive zone, they're disruptive. They're super annoying to play against. Are they ever going to score a goal on a two-on-one? No. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm okay with that, though. Ilya Mikheyev, that's another conversation. Is it snake-bitten? Is it terrible shooting talent? This was the Zach Hyman conversation from his rookie year that... You just NHL players can't not score on all these opportunities, right? Like, there's did, some did he fool us last him. year? Because he looked like a like he could legit finish last year. That the wrist injury is it the wrist? A, a, I mean, the, the skate slicing your wrist and the the injury. Does he just and... not have the strength in there? And then like next year he'll get it back after you know like a year of like you know trying to get back to where he was because he looked like a legitimate finisher last year. Like he looked like a. You know, nothing like crazy, but he looked like a guy who could put 20 up in the league, and he doesn't this year. Well, I mean, he's still taking terrible shots that drive me insane with Ilya Mikheyev just because with his speed and his ability to get up the ice with that long reach, you think, man, this guy should be able to generate high-quality shots. And then he has 20 feet of open ice in front of him, and he launches a wrist shot from 50 feet. And you're thinking, dude, no, it's the Morgan Riley problem. It's That's a turnover. That's not a good shot. That's a bad play. And... With him, that's a frustration I have. With Pierre Engvall, I know people get mad at Pierre Engvall for the turnbacks. Frankly, that doesn't bother me that much. I think that's just a philosophy that Dubis, Keith, and company have. Spezza has it. Engvall has it. A lot I of don't, players have it. That I doesn't don't, bother me that much. It doesn't bother me, but he became like ridiculously predictable to the point where teams were sitting on it. Like the like the pre-scout was, was very obvious, and Boston in particular would sit on it. Just, you know okay, I'm going to wait for this guy to turn back and it's a turnover. But I think as we talk about their offense, this is this is a good point for, for me. And really what I enjoy about this line is I don't care if they score. It does not matter to me. For years I've been on this, this wagon of the Leafs need lines that can do other things. And this line can do other things. That's why I appreciate about them. Like you could put them out there and they could change a game in a different way. And the Leafs really haven't had that over the past few years. We've always looked at their ice time and, and huge games and playoff games and how they were allocating uh, things. I guess I should really say this more so for uh, with Sheldon Keefe last year. But I think Keefe looked down his bench and sat there and went, my third and fourth line can't do anything. So there's almost no point in playing them. They're just really crappy versions of my top two lines. What's interesting right. this year is that the fourth line is better offensively than the third line, but the third line is very strong defensively, and you trust them, especially with the Zach Hyman down there. You trust them out against anyone. But with Ilya Mikheyev and Pierre Engvall, kind of no matter who that third player is, their ability to control the neutral zone, their ability to impact play defensively, and create odd man rushes basically out of nothing, just with pure speed. Sometimes you'll see it with Mikheyev. He'll pick up a puck. It looks like it should be a default kind of two-on-two, three-on-three, and he just blows by his man, and it's an odd man rush. I always like saying, oh, that has value, that has value. 
with Mikheyev, I'm starting to realize maybe it doesn't have as much value as I think it does, you know, because it's not a regular star on an odd man rush. It's Ilya Mikheyev on an odd man rush. <laughs> but at some point, he's got to start converting on those at a higher rate. I know I'm going to keep beating this drum, but the shooting percentage regression, he can't keep going over whatever it is on these chances. Yeah, but as you noted, the fourth line is a good scoring line. And I think you can have that kind of line when you have a, a good third line the way with what they do, right? They're a grindy line, get the puck in the zone, cycle you, forecheck, backcheck, paycheck. That's about it. But before, I'd sit there and, and say, okay, they have this scoring fourth line, we'll call it, and then they have a scoring third line, we'll call it, and then a scoring second line, and a scoring third line, right? Like, I like Matthews scoring lines. I like having good players. That's how Dubas built his teams in the Sioux. Like, hey, let's have but, skill on our fourth line. Other teams aren't doing this. Isn't and, this something people should be doing? And yeah, I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm saying you need to mix it up a little bit. But now they have a little bit more variety to their lineup, right? You could put out that third line and say, this game's not going well. I need a hustle shift. I just need a hustle shift. I need you guys to go retrieve the puck in the offensive zone cycle them to death we know you're not going to score get an offensive zone face off let's let's try to tilt the ice right let's try to change the the way that this game is going and they, and the they numbers didn't have show that. that those guys have been great shot suppressors uh, i know pierre engvall's first season in the nhl i looked at his heat map in the defensive zone the other team doesn't have the puck very often when engvall's on the ice and part yeah. of it is the turnbacks part of it is the way he plays in the offensive zone where a lot of it's on the perimeter but when you have the puck and the other team doesn't that's a positive outcome for your team. I'll take that any day of the week for a bottom six guy. And you can't score all the time, right? Especially your third and fourth line. So if you're not scoring, what are you doing? And they they really, over the past few years, Leafs have had their bottom six has been like, if they're not scoring, they're not doing anything. They're they're taking up space, right? So now they've added in this this third checking line, we'll call it. Matthews has improved defensively from when he first entered the league you could sit there and just say we're going to match Matthews up head to head and we feel pretty good about it in pretty much all circumstances yeah we've got Obviously, a better player you match us yeah right so now like that's how you actually become a, a, a matchup nightmare because now Keith and when we talk about that experimenting he's sitting there going okay I could put Hyman here and on this third line and have them as this really good checking line or I could just move them up and play with Matthews and um, I could put Kerfoot down on the third line. So now I have this high end, like maybe the best first line in the league with Matthews and Hyman and Marner, and I could match them up against anybody. And then I have the second, third line. Uh, that's a checking line. I feel great about them in pretty much any circumstance within reason. You know, you're not going to hard match them. And then I have John Tavares and William Nylander chilling on the second line. And now you just open up everything for the whole roster, right? Where do you put Kerfoot in that situation? I tend to like him on a... I like a Kerfoot-Tavares-Nylander line, personally, but then you have to go, okay, who's my third-line center? Is it Pierre Engvall in a playoff series? That's something that might concern you a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... I, I'm curious, right? So I, I've been trying to watch the rest of this division. I know we've talked about how bad it is, and I'll stand by that the whole year. I think the proof is in the pudding. Everybody's watching these teams. They're not good, right? Edmonton, people were sitting there... 10 and 2 in their last 12 or whatever it is battle of first and second and we were here last week with like Mike Smith is their starting goalie you cannot take this that seriously right and, and we're kind of seeing that bear out now but it's interesting the matchups that you'll see in the in the playoffs right so if Montreal it'll probably be it's going to be three of four of Montreal 
Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, right? Yeah. If you play Montreal, they're going to roll four lines. That's what they, they don't have the top end talent. They're going to roll four lines. They're going to try to come at you in waves and consistency. So you're going to have to match that a little bit. You can't, I don't think you can sit there and hang your hat on. We're going to play Matthews 25 minutes because they're going to wear him down if, in that kind of, you know, long series, whatever the case is. If you play Edmonton, you might sit there and say, yeah, you know what? We're going to load our Let's top guys score up. more goals than the other team. Screw it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to load up our top guys against their top guys. We can trust our, our depth a little bit, probably a lot more than their depth. And we can definitely trust our defense and our goaltending more. Right, but you you're probably a little bit more inclined to play your top guys more in that Edmonton potential series. Winnipeg is interesting because I was watching them this week, and I didn't see the game against Vancouver, but I saw the game they played before that. And Pierre Luc Dubois was on the first line with Shifley and Wheeler. I think that's a terrible decision by Paul Maurice. But that aside, the idea is to put I guess your three best players on the ice, right? I just think you're neutering him. Like a little bit. He's, you want him to have his own he, line to run through the middle? He's a high end center. I don't think you sit there and have high end centers in their prime and say, go play wing. Right? I'd like to see him with Ehlers on a consistent basis just because I'm such a Nick Ehlers truther. I I, I he, love that guy. I've been in on him he's since a game breaker. 17, 16. He's just, yeah, like his, his ability to pick the puck up anywhere and take it into the offensive zone and create some kind of dangerous chance out of nothing. It's, that's what you need in the playoffs, right? You need guys who can break structure, and Nikolai Ehlers is that kind of player. Yeah, and, and my point with Winnipeg, too, is, um, you know, just very, the Leafs signed John Tavares. Nobody was sitting there going, hmm, should John Tavares move to Matthew's wing or vice versa right off the get-go? Like, this is this one-two center punch, and it's awesome. And Paul Maurice is sitting here going, yeah, you know what? I'm going to play them all like on the same one line. So all that point being is I think you have different matchup scenarios as to how you're going to kind of structure things. And part of this time is going to be trying out these different combinations to get there. And then also it's nice to have this third line where you can sit there and say they can impact the game without scoring at all. Talking about Adam Lowry and Matthew Perot? Well, for Winnipeg, yes, but for the Leafs, Mikheyev and, and Engvall, right? So now, now Keefe has all these options. And even we've seen it with Wayne Simmons too. He could kind of go out there and give the team the proverbial energy shift. It's going to be interesting. Keefe's going to have to reintegrate Simmons back in. Like, Who's coming out for him? We know Jimmy Vesey's going to come out at some point. Will he? I mean, I think they keep so. playing Nick Patan in his spot in practice every freaking time. And then when I look at the game roster, it's Jimmy Vesey's name there. And I'm yelling at my spreadsheet. So it's, I don't know it's such do a anymore. tease. They've had a few games now where I've sat there, you know, at lunch or whatever. And been oh, it's happened. And then <laughs> warmups happen. Oh, I guess not. I try pulling up numbers. I'm like Patan, Boyd, Spezza works. VC, Boyd, Spezza does not work. What is the common thread here? <laughs> but <laughs> One guy that has worked seemingly, and he hasn't played with a ton of people, but whoever he has played with is your favorite from the start, Joe Thornton. I told you this guy can play on the top <laughs> line if you need him there. He can pass it to Tavares. He can pass it to Matthews. What's funny about him is that he's such a non-shooting threat that he just kind of lives behind the goal line now. And I, so, I like that spot for him. I think that's an effective spot because in the offensive zone, whether you're on the power play where he's kind of your quote-unquote net front guy, even though what his real job is is to provide an outlet behind the goal line where if you're running into trouble, just launch it around the boards. Thornton will pick it up and pass it to an open man. 
And one of the great things Thornton does is he can pass it to you below the goal line and get you in a one-timer position. And this is something that Ryan Stimson's research shows. It's something that Corey Schneider, the guy who does all the manual tracking shutdown line on Twitter, all their data shows is that if you get a shot off of a pass from behind the net, it increases your shooting percentage like crazy. It's basically like passing uh, the puck east-west in the offensive zone. Not many players set up behind the goal line and are looking to thread passes out from behind the goal line to someone in a shooting position. Thornton's one of the few guys in the league still doing it at a high level. I get that you're worried about him defensively. You know, I, I can clip him trying to back check on Connor McDavid. It doesn't go very well. But if you give him a specific role where you say, hey, this is your spot. You're going to be our low post guy kind of behind the net. Let our other players worry about their areas of the ice. I think it's an area of the ice he can still dominate and still thread passes. And those puck retrieval numbers, you see it. On those passes in the O-zone that we talked about earlier, you see it. I'm a big Joe Thornton truther, and I just needed to get that off my chest. Yeah, and I actually want to give him a little bit of love, too, because the thing I'm honestly impressed by, you talk about here's your spot on the ice. This is a guy with a couple hundred-plus point seasons, a couple 90-plus point seasons, I think three or four 80-plus point seasons on top of that. So almost a decade of... of ridiculously elite production he turned Jonathan Chichu into a 55 goal scorer who was out of the league a few years later yeah and although part of that was that knee injury that Chichu had but yeah point taken uh, he did obviously carry this guy on on his back a little bit but you know to be that good and to kind of accept his role now that's not easy for guys a lot of guys live in denial about where they you know where they're at at whatever stage of their career they're in where they think that you know i could once do this so i could do it again or whatnot there's none of that from Thornton. this dude's just here he just wants to win it's like yeah you know what my job now is to forecheck and my job is to go in front of the net i was watching on the power play last night he was standing in front of the net right people were like oh joe thornton replacing wayne simmons in front could you imagine 10 years ago telling joe thornton to go stand in front of the net on the power play there's a great picture of, I think it's Thornton, Spezza, and I and don't Tavares. know if Tavares is the other yeah. guy. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like, if you told me that Dubas acquired these guys five, six, ten years ago, I mean, no one would have wouldn't believe it. it. Yeah, right? So, but just imagine ten years ago going to Thornton and saying, yeah, you know what, you're not going to play half wall. You're not going to play that passing corner. You're going to go in front of the net, and you're going to screen the goalie for point shots. Yeah. Like, and you you're not fired. even going to stand there that often. You're gonna, we're gonna get you to just chill behind the net most of yeah. the time. Just literally hang out behind the net there. Just stand there. But he knows now. He's looking around. He sees the young guys. He knows what his job is. And they're going. I want to win games. And I think that has a really positive impact on the overall culture of your team because they're looking right. Like he has the respect. Patrick Marlowe is a really good player, in you know his prime or whatever. He was never a Joe Thornton level good. He was really good, but he was never Joe Thornton. No one's ever never seen that one. candidate. I mean, heart yeah. winner, good. Yeah, right? Like, Thornton was the next level. So Joe Thornton's sitting there, and that guy's sacrificing. Also, as an aside, when Patrick Marlowe refused to sit and, like, load manage himself because he wanted the streak, that just bothered me to no end. It drove we... me nuts, but then everyone was telling me, oh, no, this is something that hockey players care about, so you need to take that into account, and... I don't know. If, a, lo- a lot of this stuff with pro athletes, I just go, well, what if, improves your chances of winning a cup? That's what I care about. If he had won a cup, if, if he had won a cup and he's like, no, I want the record, I get it. But you haven't won a cup, dude. Sit. That's the most important. That should have been the most important thing. Anyways, that aside, back to Thornton. 
Thornton's sitting there, and what an example, right? Everyone can look at him and just say, this guy's here to win. That's the only thing that matters to him. He's taking whatever role the Leafs are giving him. He's going to do it with a smile on his face, and he's going to try his best. You know, we talked about Matthews leading the way, and he 100% is. But now now you can look down the roster. It's, oh, yeah, there's Jason Spezza on the fourth line playing on the right wing of Travis Boyd, right? But he's but still quarterback he in role. PP2 pretty well. He's he knows his gaining role. gaining the zone like no one else. By the way, that's a side thing. But Jason Spezza's efficiency at gaining the zone of the power play, I think he's arguably Toronto's best player at it. Marner struggles sometimes. Matthew struggles sometimes. Jason Spezza just skates as fast as he can. He loads up, and he gains the zone. He just goes north, makes a play at the blue line, and you're in. And it's something he can still do at age. What is he? How old is Jason Spezza now? 37. So Matthews has the best shot on the team. But after that, it's it's between Nylander and Spezza, right? I mean, Tavares is on this team. You think he has? You think Tavares has a better? He definitely doesn't have a better slap shot than. Spezza. Oh, I'm thinking. I guess I'm thinking off the rush in in a tight spot wrist shot situation. I mean, the the fake slapper is. He's still got outrageous. it. I can't believe goalies are still biting on it, but he also does launch a few slap shots from the, the top of that right circle, so you have to respect it a little bit. Uh, the Mike with, Smith with goal Ford, killed me because he just went like fake slap shot, but then he shot it in the middle of the net after basically. Oh, didn't it go top right-ish? I don't know. It, I was, need to rewind. it was pretty central to the net and you could tell Spezza lapped behind the net after he scored and he barely moved a muscles. It was almost like this was too easy. Almost embarrassing. <laughs> All right, let's move into overreaction, underreaction, where we try to gauge the Leafs fans' response on social media, and we're asking ourselves, okay, are we overreacting or underreacting to Toronto's PDO right now? Which, for people who don't know, it's when you add up your save percentage and your shooting percentage. It's supposed to add up to about 100. Elite teams with elite goaltending and elite shooting talent can sustain something closer to about 101. What's the What are the Leafs at right now? Got to think it's high. It's actually not as high as I thought it was going to be. It's 1.035. 103.5. Okay. That's yeah. how I'm used to thinking of it in my head. Okay. Yeah. I actually thought it would be higher, to be honest. Yeah, you're thinking but, like 104, 105, 106, but it's yeah. not quite that high. That said, it's second in the league to the Philadelphia Flyers. And that's a stat that we know over time will regress closer to league average. So are we overreacting or underreacting to some of the shooting luck and let's face it, goaltending luck of backup goaltenders rocking 930 and 940 save percentages that we know aren't going to last. I think we're probably underreacting to it now. And I say that because people are going to overreact to it later on. The Leafs are hot right now. No question. They are in the middle of, of you know, a run, let's call it. And there, there was no play that was that was more indicative of it to me is uh, Jesse Pugliarvi goes down the wing against Michael Hutchinson and he shoots a wrister and it goes through Hutchinson, right? Trickles through him and it just goes wide over by the post. About It looked about three inches uh, to one side, but three inches or so the other way, maybe five inches. It's a goal, right? And that's fine. Like you got to get bounces to win games, but everything is coming up Leafs right now. And that's awesome. You got to ride the wave, so to speak. There's going to there's gonna be a little bit of reality coming into play, right? We look at a guy like Mitch Barner. His individual PDO is sky high. I think his shooting percentage is about 18%. And 
And we talked. He's about on those. the ice at five on five throughout his career. He's averaged about ten percent, which is elite. It's when he's on the ice, he's an elite passer. He can get his teammates into good spots. This year, it's fifteen percent. That is not going to last. That's going to fall down even for an elite player like him. I remember when him and Tavares had that special year. It was 11.4%, the on-ice 5-5 shooting percentage. What do the Leafs shoot when this player is on the ice at 5-5? Right now it's 14.9. Let's call it 15%. It's not going to last. As much as I love this season for Mitch Marner where he's an assist per game and he's almost a half goal per game, he's trusting his wrister a bit more often. I know you've brought this up before. How much of that is real improvement in the wrist shot and how much of it is just a bit of luck right now? The puck seemed to be going in. I think the truth might be somewhere in the middle. But again, this guy isn't going to keep... The, the Leafs aren't going to keep scoring on 15% of the shots that they take when Mitch Marner's on the ice at 5-5. Five and five. That's just something that isn't going to continue and we need to accept it. No, and, and you know, you want to be clear on this. We're not coming from an, at an angle that the Leafs are getting super lucky and they don't deserve this. They're the best team in this division. We knew this from the start, right? We pulled all the writers. It's really close, you know, and that's part of the thing is talent. You convert on these chances a bit more often than other teams. It's just the degree to which they're outperforming some of their underlyings. I think it's unsustainable, and I think the smarter people will realize that. Yeah, and and really what I'm hoping for as a fan that wants to see this team go on a run uh, for once in my life since 2004 is I, I would like them to get it out of the way with now. Get the cold streak out of the way with. With, on a few and, losses in a row where your goaltenders are just complete garbage. Yeah, and the shooting dries up. Really, the worst thing that, that would happen would just be a, it just dries up right in time for playoffs, right? Right in time for that, round one against the Edmonton Oilers. They can't score on Mike Smith. <laughs> yeah, something ridiculous. I would rather just, okay, have your few-week run where things kind of normalize and equal out. And, and then let's just all move works, on with though. our the way, lives. The, the way regression works, everyone assumes that because you had good luck in the future, you're due for some bad luck in the future. That's the gambler's fallacy. That's not how it works. You're just, we expect you to have normal luck moving forward. We expect you to convert on these chances at the rate that you have throughout your career. And for the Leafs, that's lower than it is right now. So I saw it, I saw one model had the Leafs, um, what is it, Mika? Michael Blake McCurdy over at uh, HockeyViz.com. Yeah, and and the model there had the Leafs like not not performing particularly strong the rest of the way. Um, I know his it, models are typically closer to I don't know how to describe this, but uh, closer to fifty fifty than the average model in terms of which team's more likely to win the next game. Doesn't mean he's necessarily wrong. I think a lot of the times when we're betting on hockey and we're looking at these odds. I think we realize that this, this game is more of a crapshoot than a lot of other professional sports, like, say, basketball. So that might not be a, a bad way of doing things, but I do know that when you compare it to, say, Dom Lechizian's model, I think there's uh, less variance in the way that Mike's model works. The overall point projection of 75 would be roughly equivalent to the Leafs going something like 16, 10, and 7 the rest of the way. So it's still, you know, above 500 and respectable by all means, but it, that's not the Leafs are better than that for the rest of this division. And, you know, all my point is we know it's going to, they're really good. They should be able to get through things. We just wouldn't want guys to go ice cold. The, the team level as a whole, you're right. Wouldn't, it doesn't just play out like that. But at some point, some of these, some of these shooters and some of the points that are happening, the individuals are going to go ice cold. I yeah, just want, and- just want it done now. <laughs> 
So my last one here for overreaction, underreaction was backup goaltending, which falls into kind of the team PDO because the save percentage is way higher than it should be. When you play your backup, you expect it to be a below average NHL save percentage. When the Leafs play their backups this year, Michael Hutchinson is just having a career year. I don't know what's going on. He's only played four games. 943 save percentage. Jack Campbell, 951 save percentage. That's not going to keep going. I I think anyone with a brain knows that. It's just those games, those are banked points. Those are games that they've won despite the fact that maybe they weren't the better team. In the future, what do you expect those save percentages to be realistically? Jack Campbell's next start. Michael Hutchinson's next few starts. So so first off, I want to say I'm I'm extremely happy for Hutchinson. Last year sucked for him. Being in Toronto anyway, he kind of rebounded a little bit in Colorado, so good for him. But, you know, that couldn't have been fun for him, and he was constantly behind the eight ball in his starts, and he wasn't really given an honest chance to perform well. It was more play play behind this really tired team on the second half of back-to-back. And well, when you have an 886 save percentage in 15 games, I think the criticism that comes your way is kind of deserved, to be honest. But part of that is team-related too, right? I, the majority of the games he was playing were second half of back-to-backs, which we know That's teams job, play though. worse. That's what a backup goalie has to do. It is to a degree. I think as a coach, you could sit there when we talk about you know, things Babcock wasn't doing in terms of resting guys and whatever. I think you have a bit of a responsibility to sit there and say, can I put this guy in a favorable spot to kind of get the ball rolling a little bit? Like that is the job, but you have to sit there too sometimes and go, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I stop screwing this guy all the time. Maybe I give him a random Tuesday after the team last played on Saturday. Like put Especially the ball in his Frederick quarter. Anderson having an injury this year. And we've talked about him in the past where he runs into a bit of uh, fatigue come playoff time. If you can get him some more rest here and there with a Michael Hutchinson start, with a Jack Campbell start, I think it goes a long way to, towards improving your chances of winning in the playoffs. Yeah, but and to answer your question, I think Hutch is I think Hutch could be a low 900 save percentage kind of guy, and I think Jack Campbell could hover around that 915 save percentage. I th- and that would be above league average because the save percentage yep. around the league we're forgetting this it's dropping the last couple of years it's it's gone down. Le- legitimately, I can't think of a a single bad game Campbell has played as a Leaf and it's only been nine games or whatever but something to be said for that that said I do think there will probably be an overreaction coming it'll eventually be like something along the lines of yeah just get rid of Anderson and Campbell will just step right up into the starters role and that'll be that Campbell hasn't even played 70 games in the league yet that's not to suggest 67 games he's a 918 Save percentage guy. Again, small yeah. samples, goalies, voodoo. Is he someone who just figured it out at age 28? Because there aren't too many of those guys. But then again, with goaltenders, sometimes you They're do have weird. to go into individual case studies because there's just so much differentiation from one guy to the next. So with He was Campbell, a 10th overall pick, right? Yeah, and are we going to do that? So is Jonathan Bernier or whatever. <laughs> Bernier hasn't been bad in Detroit either. But point being was more so that the talent has always been there, right? That's never been in question. Heck, Kyle Dubas traded the absolute farm for him in the O. When yeah, he was with, I mean, that's something he talks about. One of his regrets of, oh, man, that, that was a bad trade. That trade was ridiculous. But if you the Jack go back Campbell and, trade 2.0, actually not bad. Yeah, pretty. it's worked out well for both teams, we were saying. I mean, L.A. got to move up Cal Peterson. He looks really good, and Trevor Moore is a nice player, and the Leafs have a real backup goalie now, so win-wins all around. But, you know, point being is, 
it's hard to actually carry a full workload and a full NHL season. I don't take that for granted. And, uh, I hope fans don't either because you've only been watching the team for a few years. Then if you are, you don't remember the dark days of no goaltending for about 10 years here. And it, it sucked. It sucked. I'm kind of happy for the, the fans who walked into this team and were like, yeah, Frederick Anderson's our goalie, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner. They don't have to go through the dark years where Jared Smithson was getting a lot of minutes <laughs> and Jay McClement was sixth in Selkie voting. It, 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 there were some dark times there. The, the dark times make you stronger, though. It, you know, the, there's a bond there with, with Leaf fans who've been, everyone who hangs out with their friends or whatever back in the day. The Leafs didn't make the playoffs in – over the entirety of my high school and my university life. That is just brutal. 2004, they didn't make it, and then they didn't make it till 2013 in that shortened season. So, yeah. yeah, it was a rough stretch there. Just stunning. Those are prime Leaf-celebrating years. I mean, they all are, but it sucks. Like, but here we are. They, they're finally you know, back atop the mountain of sorts. All right. I know that we're running a bit long here, but TJ Brody has been a topic of conversation this week. And the Leafs team defense is something that you brought up. And Ray Ferraro had a great tweet about it where everyone's talking about that this team. Oh, wow. Against Connor McDavid. He didn't score on them back to back games. Their goalies had a shutout. I'm starting to wonder how much we're overvaluing, quote unquote, team defense and not looking at larger trends that we know are going to lead to goals against. So TJ Brody, here's my stat of the week. In fact, I'll give you two numbers here. His goal share, goals for percentage at 5-on-5, five five, 67%. That's why everyone's really high right now. They go, wow, that is awesome. His shot share, something that's more predictive of future goals, is f- below 48%. And that's where I'm concerned. And again, I brought this up with Morgan Riley in the past. But anytime your minutes leaders are getting outshot at even strength, that's not good. And if you want to be a championship contender, your top pairing shouldn't be getting outshot at even strength. I would argue that it's not necessarily TJ Brody's fault. I'd pin more of that on Morgan Riley getting caught for odd man rushes against. But with TJ Brody, it kind of brings up, you know, some of the the factors that we're noticing with our eyes are things that might not show up in a Corsi 4 percentage. You know, his ability to block a passing lane on a two-on-one, that's really going to improve your team's chances of of preventing a goal. It really helps. But at the same time, living in your defensive end more often than you're in the offensive end, that's a trend that you know as a, as a coach, as a player, as an analyst of hockey, that if you are consistently allowing more shots than you're generating offensively, bad things are going to happen in the future. So that's a number I wanted to bring up with TJ Brody just because I've seen so much praise for him and the Leafs' defense. And it's a concerning trend to me that the top pair continues to get outshot at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, and to that, to that note, we talked a little bit about experimenting at the beginning of this uh, podcast, especially with where the Leafs kind of are in the standings, I, I wouldn't mind them shaking up the D pairings at some point just to give us a look. But sometimes you say, oh, let's try this thing. Let's move Nylander to center just to see what it looks like. And people escalate it to, you know, heights that I couldn't even imagine or fathom when I suggested it. It's really just, let's just see it. Give, give me three games of whatever, a shaken up D pairing. Nylander at center. Muzzin Brody, the second they signed Brody, I know everyone said, okay, this is Morgan Riley's partner, pencil it in. I started thinking, okay, Jake Muzzin is an elite defensive player. TJ Brody can play the right side, can play top minutes, is a great puck mover. That just seems like a pairing that would work really well. And then I guess you're a little bit concerned about the Riley Hall pairing. I don't know. Hall seems like someone who's a good rush defender, 
could help fill in for some of Riley's weaknesses in that regard. It's something that I'd love to see. Like you said, just for a few games, let's see how this goes. Maybe Muzz and Brody becomes your matchup pairing in the playoffs, and Riley can get some more offensive situations against second and third lines. But I, I doubt we see it. It's just something I'd love to – they've got a run here, like you said. They're in first place. There's a 90% chance of them finishing the season in first place. You have some room for experimentation here. Why not try it? Yeah, and, and the last thing I'll say on that is we talk about the Leafs' top six defensemen, just that group, so not Miko Lettinen or whoever else beyond. But you could basically mix and match any of them, and I wouldn't outright suggest that it's terrible, to, at least to start. Dermot you could, Hall, you like, you know, the you idea could, of Muzz and Brody, yeah. not terrible. I, I think yeah. Riley Bogosian is one that I brought up as, oh my God, I could see this as a pairing they actually try in the playoffs. Just when you think of the guys they've <laughs> had him with, whether it's a CC or a Zaitsev or a Hainsey, I'm thinking, oh my God, do they think Zach Bogosian is the defensive presence beside uh, beside Morgan Riley? Just because that terrifies me. The thought of that still is lingering deep in my brain. But I wouldn't match up any of those pairings against good players and, and say that they're good. I'm just saying you could move around those six in any sort of combination and then figure out what their roles would be. And you could sit there and be, be like, okay, I'm I'm okay with this defense. Let's try it out for a game. But yeah, you're right. I probably would not pair Riley and Bogosian in particular. I just but, get worried of Bogosian moving up the lineup. I don't think they're going to do that. It's just something that deep in my mind I'm thinking, please, please don't play him in the top four. Even if there's an injury, don't you have someone else you can move up there? I do like him, though. I think he's been really good in his role. I, I've Bogosian said it a ton. Works. It's It's been, I mean, it's a third pair. It's sheltered, but they're dominating play. It's important. To, you get points for dominating those shifts, and some teams don't have a third pair that dominates. So I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, and so now we're coming up on our time here. As we go through everything, I did want to have a closing thought. And I know we were kind of uh, talking about this a little bit before we were recording. Alec and I were talking about it last night as we were watching uh, that Leaf game. I don't think, I think the Leafs are the only top 10 team in, in the league in this division. I, okay. like, I, I don't think anybody else. Who's in your top 10 right now? This is around the NHL. So Colorado, Vegas, just off the top of my head, Boston comes to mind, Tampa, Tampa. Florida. Florida, I would put Washington in there. The okay, interesting that's one thing, where I'm not sure. Uh, Toronto, you'd have to have in there, I'd imagine. Then again, maybe that's your argument. Is Toronto no, no, Toronto, no, Toronto is for sure in the top ten. The Leafs have been a top ten team in the league for a number of years now. They've just had the those issue two... is that they've been in that six to ten range. It yeah, hasn't been that they... legitimate top five. Plus, they've been just looking up at the peak of the peak of this league. But interestingly, I don't. Colorado's not even top ten in points percentage this year. I mean, I'm sure they're going to be fine. But um, you look at the talent on that roster. I'm not too worried. Yeah. Oh, we forgot Carolina. Oh Carolina's yeah, I like easily five a top ten team. I don't know. Is Minnesota actually good? They might be. Kirill Kaprizov's real. Yeah, they're fun to watch. They should actually. We've talked about Mikhail Granlund a little bit. They should get him back. But different story so winnipeg is kind of on the border like i think they're right there at 10th on points percentage they're probably the only team that you could argue right now i don't know if points percentage say. is the best way to evaluate teams no, no. in terms of future performance no definitely not i'm just trying to like gauge off you know a few simple things um, am i crazy for suggesting that the montreal Canadiens could be a top 10 team in the nhl with their ability to control play at five on five yeah, because they were doing the same thing last year, and they were 24th when yeah, the season they've got finished. better players this year. They've got Tyler Toffoli, Josh Anderson. I, I think they've bridged the gap. They've definitely not the 24th place team in the league now, but I don't think they jumped from 24th to 10th by adding Jake Allen, Josh Anderson, and 
Tyler Toffoli. You don't it's like just the fact not enough. That we're spending fifteen million dollars on and, below average goaltending and, and Joel Edmondson and and whoever else like decent enough players. But you need to actually have an elite player. I don't think we mentioned St. Louis either, and they've been pretty good so far. And Vladimir Tarasenko hasn't played a game. Like you'd have to argue your way into a team other than the Leafs being in the top ten in the league. Nobody's going to give it to you. Hold clean. out fear that Montreal eventually they're going to get some more puck luck and Carey Price is going to make a few saves. The power play is still probably going to suck, realistically, but I just think at 5-on-5, especially like we say in the playoffs, let's say it's Game 6, Game 7, which of these teams do you trust to just control play at 5-on-5? I still have Montreal on my top three or four teams that I expect to control the shots and the scoring shots at even strength. Do I trust Carey Price to be a 930 goaltender? No. Do I trust trust Frederick Anderson? Uh, in the playoffs Jack Campbell more I don't know <laughs> talking about goaltending I might trust Michael Hutchinson right now but <laughs> I'm higher on Montreal I think than a lot of other people right now especially after the Claude Julian firing just because you look at all these indicators of okay what predicts future success you know shots scoring chances expected goals they still rank high in all these metrics at five and five I have faith in this team despite the fact that as a Leafs fan I'd, I'd much rather they suck but I think they're better than their record indicates right now once Nick Suzuki and Jesper Gokunyemi start consistently scoring each, they're going to be a problem. I just don't think they're there yet. When they when the Habs were hot at the beginning, Suzuki was clicking at a point per game. And that first game against the Leafs, I was watching going, oh, no. Yeah, this I guy, think a lot of us were thinking, is this kind of the guy who's going to run their power play? This guy looks unreal. But, uh, kind of be what they thought Jonathan Drouin would be for them. But the other games after, I haven't really noticed them. Yeah, that would be more what I... He's a young guy. It's his second year in the league. It's a little bit more. That guy's not ready to match up against Austin Matthews in a playoff series. Philip Deneau's good though, but if he's gonna go for oh, is it if he's gonna go o for this year and not score a goal, which he, he just hasn't has like yet. A Riley Sheehan kind of year, just with a shooting yeah. percentage is just falling off of it. What's well, zero? Right? Yeah, right. It's just zero. It hasn't like it. Just it hasn't even got going. Like so he hasn't turned the car regression on. Regression to the mean. That's <laughs> another one where I'm like, okay, that's not gonna continue. And if he's dominating play at even strength, I think that we should admit that that there is some positive signs here. If you're a Montreal fan, there are positives. I just I don't think they're there yet. They don't have the their best forward would be the Leafs' fifth best forward, possibly sixth. So, so according to Anthony, the Leafs are the only top ten NHL team in their division. I I still think there's an argument to squeeze Montreal in there, but I understand why, given their results in the last couple of weeks, that a lot of people are. Including their owner are are not too happy with the team's performance. Like I said, you'd have to argue your way into any other team other than the Leafs. You could kind of yeah. you could squint and see it for a few. You could see there and be like, oh, Winnipeg is a deep forward Winnipeg, group. It's and... like game one of the playoffs. The roster that they actually have after maybe a trade for a defenseman is this a team that you trust? And yeah. you think, okay, yeah, maybe they have an elite goalie. They're deep down the middle. You could squint. I think they and need see another it. defenseman or two. I think that's they the do. biggest thing. They do. So that that's the Leafs. The Leafs are a clear cut top 10 team they have been for what three years running now so now now they've taken that step though what from what you were saying from that six to ten to this is a real top five team arguably a top three all right so we're getting out of here we've talked enough about the leafs uh, we'll let you guys enjoy your week it's been 58 minutes geez this is a long one for us so so we'll, we'll chill here and we'll get out of here but we'll be back next week to talk more about the leafs what will we be talking about next week who are they facing over the next couple games? Is it an interesting series? Because sometimes when, when you have the Leafs schedule, well, they, oh, we, great, we got a series against the Ottawa Senators. A lot of takeaways to, to, to come out of these games with. So another game against uh, Edmonton. So I 
honestly, they should find another goalie, put put that guy in just to spice it up. And then Joseph uh, Wall, give him his first NHL start. Might as well. And then a back to back with Vancouver. So other than Ottawa, it was the, the second worst team you could say. But after that, they play Winnipeg. And you'll be excited for that because Anthony's super high on Winnipeg. I know Michael Blake McCurdy has Winnipeg as the second best team in the division right now. So that'll be an interesting series. Maybe we'll do more large trend takeaways instead of microanalyzing games against the Vancouver Canucks. I think we know better. So yeah. we'll be back next week with hopefully some interesting content. That's for you to decide. Thanks for listening. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to mapleleafshotstove.com and join the conversation.